Okay, so this is written by one of my, this book to the Ephesians is written by one of my uh, heroes in the Bible. Of course, Jesus is my main hero, obviously, and, uh, but Paul uh, is just amazing. When I did my Bible school, uh, I used to dream about him and I used to go on journeys with him and it was uh, so amazing. <laughs> I was just so impressed at his commitment. So he wrote, this church, wrote to this church that he had actually pioneered uh, on the first missionary journey. And I can relate to that because I'm a pioneer and I've pioneered all over the world Bible schools. And he did that. He created this church in the first missionary journey. Then he went back in the second missionary journey. Now, Ephesus is uh, it's on the west coast of what was called Asia Minor, but now is modern Turkey. I've been there. I've put up a map so you can, hopefully you'll see that there. Um, I've been to Ephesus, uh, to the ruins of Ephesus, and uh, you can get an idea of how magnificent uh, it, it was. Sorry, I didn't uh, start my timer here, so I just need to do that, or I might have a big hook that pulls me off. I think I gave myself a few minutes there by not doing that. It was unintentional. <laughs> so Paul went back on his third, third missionary journey to Ephesus, and uh, he was there for almost three years teaching to this church. And so we look at the book of Ephesus and we see that it's divided right down the middle. The first part is about who, what Jesus did for us, all the amazing things. Then the second part is about how we're to live the life. And part of that is being aware and of spiritual warfare. You know, when I first... Um, I was, a, I was an atheist and I didn't believe in God and uh, so I didn't grow up in church. Um, when I went to DTS, I got saved and joined YWAM and the very first week we had uh, a man called Dean Sherman who talked for a week on spiritual warfare and I was just blown out of the water because honestly I didn't know, I, like I said this morning, I knew nothing about everything. I was so new. I mean, I didn't even know that there were different versions of the Bible when I came to know Jesus. I mean, I had found an old King James somewhere and I, and I tried to read it. This is before I got saved and I was like, ye, they, whoa, whoa, what? And I remember one day I picked it up and I heaved it against the wall and I thought, well, I guess I'll never understand that book. God had the last laugh, didn't he? Now I teach that book. So, you know, I mean, spiritual warfare and the devil, what's this about the devil? So I was on DTS staff, Discipleship Training School staff, and we were up uh, uh, in the Blue Mountains outside of Sydney and we were having this prayer meeting and it was an all-day prayer meeting and it was about the Indigenous people and the just horrendous things that had happened where we were actually living many years prior. And my skin, I, the only way I can describe it to people is the skin on my face and my head started to get small. It, it felt like it was shrinking. And I'm sitting there at first and I'm going, what the heck is going on? 
And eventually it, it, it dawned on me, it was the enemy. And so I got up and I walked along, I was standing in the back and I walked, I walked along and there was a friend there who was on staff with me, Ron, and I said, Ron, pray for me. As I stepped through the doors, I was physically lifted up and thrown into the courtyard and I landed on my back and there was this pressure on me. Couldn't move, couldn't speak and I knew it was the enemy. And everyone had come out and they're all, I could hear them. They were praying for me and rebuking the enemy. Then I could speak it. I felt it lift and I rebuked the enemy and I got up. That was my introduction that the enemy really is real and that he does, want, does not want us to be successful in the kingdom of God. He wants to destroy us. So we're going to do a run through <laughs> the armour of God. The armour of God is... Something that, well, firstly, let's just talk about the armour. You've got a group of people who lived under Roman rule. They saw guards every day. They knew what it was, this armour. And so Paul uses that to bring them to an understanding of spiritual truths. So we start with the belt of truth. It said, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Now, stand firm, by the way, is a command, not just an idea. When it says stand firm, you need to stand firm. A soldier's belt wasn't just an adornment. It was something that went around here and up here and they had things hanging off it. It was a very important part of their armour. Now, he says, stand firm. What does this mean to us? It's a belt of truth. Well, Satan is a liar. He attacks us all the time. He will speak to you. He will speak lies to you. And I know you've believed some of those lies. I've believed some of those lies. You have to learn to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. He started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? Yeah, and he's been saying that ever since. We have to combat that by always speaking the truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right, in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're looking to him, we're acknowledging that he speaks the truth and we are not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. Okay, the second one is the breastplate. The breastplate for the soldier was made of strips of metal so that it could be light and flexible. Okay, so we need to, we need to be on the second, uh, the, it'll say now the breastplate. Keep going past that one. Oh, we've just done that one. Next one. There we go. <laughs> now you just keep going from each one now. All right. The main purpose of the breastplate was to, was to protect this part of their being, internal organs. We need these internal organs, don't we? Including your heart. Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So critical is the condition of your spiritual heart. We need to watch over our heart. We need to protect our heart. God calls us to have a pure heart a hungry heart, a contrite heart. The breastplate of righteousness is a gift from God. 
Abraham was a man of faith and it was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness, right? Philippians says, to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So what does this mean to us? Putting on this armour of God involves guarding our hearts with the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus took eternal care of our sins by dying on the cross. But Satan wants you to sin. He always makes it look attractive, right? We've all done it. We've all been there. We've all done it. I mean, when, before I got saved, before I believed in Jesus, sin wasn't even a word in my vocabulary, and then I got saved and all of a sudden it was right there. Oh my goodness, what a shock. But you know what? Jesus forgave us that sin. But the enemy wants us to sin on a daily basis. So we have to stand up for what we believe in. Trust in God, what he has done for you. We do, have, we do what is right daily. Number three, feet shod with the gospel of feet, peace. Now, the sandals of the Romans was very similar to where you, you see sandals today. Certainly I have in different parts of the world. But they, their sandals were different because they had these spikes on them underneath. And it reminds me of like uh, football. Uh, I used to see when my brothers used to play football, they had these spike things under them they, and they gave you grip on the ground, right? Well, this is what they were, the Roman soldiers' sandals were like. But what does that mean to us? We need to stand firm in the battle. These, these sandals had one purpose, to keep the soldier on his feet. Paul states that the spiritual sandals are the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ah, so what does that mean? We must be ready to share that truth and hope. It's not always easy, but we have to take a stand. You know, um, I did my DTS outreach in Perth in Western Australia, and I remember one night we were going home, it was cold, it was rainy, and, you know, these Aussies, they're a tough bunch, you know, and uh, they didn't want to know anything about the gospel. And, and before I had started, I said, oh, God, what if they reject me? And God said, well, they're not going to reject you. They're rejecting me. And I, we went out and we were going out night after night and going to pubs and on the street and doing coffee shops and all that stuff. And no one was responding. And we're driving home and it's very late. And I said, Lord, what are we doing? And he said, if, it, if only one person comes to know me, you've been successful. One person. He did that for one person. So think about what he did for all of us. He went to the cross for us, for every one of us, so that we could bring glory to him. We must be ready to share that truth and hope. Okay, the shield of faith. Well, what does that, what is that? They had these amazing, the, the Roman army was the best army in the world at that time. And they had these huge shields and they were really heavy, a lot of the shields. But this, these shields that they built, they were so big, they called them doors. And they, they had these, the, uh, it's being discovered, archaeologists have discovered that they had the, 
these uh, arrows and spears had tips of a combustion, combustible material, which was when it was lit, it would fire and shoot fiery darts. And Paul used that, that we're to be aware of the fiery darts of the enemy. We don't want to get wounded by those fiery darts, do we? If we do, it's because we've dropped our shield. We've dropped that, dropped that shield. As we believe in God's word, God's promises, we're taking up the shield of faith and gaining the protection God provides. Take up the shield of faith means to put your personal trust in God in every situation. You don't do it 50% of the time or 70% of the time or 80% of the time. You do it 100% of the time. So what, is it, what does it mean to ask? Our shield is our faith. You know what you believe in and why you believe it. I have people that come into my schools and we teach them how to do evangelistic messages from the, uh, from the uh, word. And I remember I asked this one group of people, we just, they, they'd just come off DTS and this is not a positive thing, but I said, they, they, didn't, they, they said to me, or oh, half a dozen, or oh, we, we don't think we can do this. I said, what do you mean you don't think you can do this? Oh, we can't talk to people about Jesus. I said, oh, why is that? Oh, well, we've never done it. I said, well, now's your first time. You're going to do it now. Oh, I don't think so. I said, you've just come off DTS. You have three months outreach. What did you do? Oh, you know, we did prayer walks and we went worked in orphanages. And I said, in all that, you never shared the gospel with anyone? No? Okay, here's your opportunity. We're called to do it. We're called to share the gospel with people. We're called to share hope with people. Our faith acts like a shield. Helmet of salvation. All right, the Roman soldiers had the best helmets in the ancient world. We use helmets today for different things. I used to ride a motorbike and I used to wear a helmet, but I was, I was, uh, I thought, oh, I don't want to be, you know, hitting the road at that speed. But when I was living in Hawaii, I, I rode a scooter and I never, I never wore a helmet, you know. And I was talking to my daughter the other day about it and she said, you never wore a helmet. And it like really spoke to me and I thought, how stupid was I? But I thought, well, it's only 35 mile an hour. How much damage can you do at 35 mile an hour? And then I thought about it and I went, yeah. But that's what we do. We take off our helmets, don't we? The helmet of salvation. It's a vital piece of armour. So what does it protect? It protects this part of you, your mind. And the enemy wants to mess with your mind. It was given to us for our protection. The helmet of salvation points to the truth that God is the one who saves and delivered. All right, so what is it? John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We give our lives to Jesus and then we believe in him. We are saved. So how do we live that? We don't listen to the enemy. We live in the kingdom. He's called us to live in the kingdom. Here on earth, as in heaven. This is a lifestyle that we have to get into. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We've been provided with the helmet of salvation. 
Guys, this is something you don't pay for. It's been given to you as a gift, salvation. We need to believe in the helmet of salvation and believe that God is more powerful than the enemy. All right, the sword of the spirit. The swords for the soldier were typically made of iron, were double-edged, so you could cut both ways. Now, it's a very important thing. They used to use short, the short swords because the, uh, the shields were so heavy, they needed to be able to hold the shield with one hand and use the sword with the other, so they couldn't use long swords. So they would go to battle with the short swords. says here in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, you read about Jesus in the book of Revelation, that he had a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. One of my most favourite books in the Bible is Revelation because you see God like you don't see him in the rest in the gospels for example he's the almighty conquering hero majestic king of kings all right now soldiers knew they had to be able to use this sword right and so they practiced even in their free time i read they practiced all the time our sword is what the word of god now let me tell you I know people all over the world who might have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Bibles in their house. They've got them next to their bed. They've got them on the coffee table. They've got them everywhere. There's just one problem. They never read it. They never study it. It's just there. It's just there. It's just a book. See that book there? There's no power in that book. It's not magical. It's just there. You've got to live it. You've got to take that thing. You've got to use that sword of the spirit. Otherwise, it's just words on pages. You know, I travel a lot and teach a lot and people will come up to me often and say, oh, you know, I've memorised the whole of Romans or the whole of Hebrews or whatever, and I always say, that's amazing, wonderful. Can I ask you a question? And often they'll kind of get a little puffed up, you know. Yes, my question, are you living it? Because if you're not living it, it's useless. You see, the devil can quote scripture. He quoted it to Jesus. Give me a break. Jesus, he quoted it to Jesus. So unless you're reading it, studying it, living it, it's useless. It's a double-edged sword and it wants to get in and it wants to work in your life and it wants to get rid of that stuff that shouldn't be there. As you effectively learn to use your sword, right, you will see change in your life. You will see amazing things happen in your life. God will give you a kingdom understanding of who he is. See, it's not about us. At the end of this, Paul prays, he uh, tells them about praying. We don't have time to go into all the different types of prayer, but one thing that I noticed was it says, pray 
for the saints. Who are the saints? Believers. The saints are the believers. It doesn't say pray for yourself. It says pray for the saints. You know, people go, we go to Jesus and we have this shopping list of things that we want God to do for us that this is talking about. He says that we're to pray for the believers. So what is a kingdom perspective to you? What does it mean to you? Thy kingdom come, Jesus said, pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, nothing's going nothing's to be perfect until we get to heaven. Well, that's, you know, absolutely true. Nothing is going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But I tell you what, God expects us to work towards perfection. He expects us to do the best that we can do. Does that mean we're never going to sin again? Of course it doesn't. But does that mean that we're going to believe in one God who is almighty and powerful, who is able to do exceedingly above anything that we want to do or understand? First, we need to be filled with him. Kingdom is being aware. Living in the kingdom is seeking him. One of the scriptures that... I've seen all over the world and I've seen it on walls, on, plat- on you know, cross-stitch, I've seen it on pillows, cushions. God has a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a plan for your life. And everyone goes, yeah, God has a plan for your life. <clears throat> Excuse me, I need a drink. <laughs> uh, God has a plan for your life. And I go, yeah, that's true. God has a plan for your life. Keep reading, folks. And guess what? You find out that plan when you what? Seek him. You have to seek him. You don't just come to the Lord, make your commitments, and then live your life until you die and go to heaven. That's not what the Christian walk is about. It's about seeking him. Remember, the enemy's goal each day is to come, only to steal, (laughs) kill and destroy. Thank you so much. Love that. God's God's wine. Hallelujah. All right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's what it's about. I want to show you a piece of paper. What do you see? A dot. Everybody says that. A dot. The dot there represents Satan. The paper represents God. And that's how people go through life. They're not focusing on Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus, right? Not focus on the devil, but we need to be aware of the devil. We need to be aware that he's a liar and a deceiver. I've been lied to, I've been deceived, and I'm not proud of it. But God is my redeemer, and he got me out of that, and he can do the same for you. Seek God with all of your armour. We have to wear that armour 24-7. It's not something that you just put on occasionally. You're to study the word of God, like the swords that the army practised with, and they practised with, and they practised with. People say to me, 
oh, I don't have time. And I say, well, how many hours do you have in a day? Have we have in a day? Oh, 24. Oh, okay. So how many, how many days in a week do we, do we have? Seven. How many days in a year? 365. Okay, so we all have the same. So why is it that some people are able to read their word and study and focus on God and others aren't? Because it's not a priority. See, it has to be a priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and it'll all be given to you. The rest, it's all be given to you. So I just want to finish with this song. And I am not going to sing it. Like I'm going to sing it. You would all run out of here in screaming agony if I sang to you. But I want, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to just, it goes for about two minutes, if that's okay, two and a half minutes. And I don't want you to sing, well, you can sing it if you want to. But what I want you to do, the lyrics are on there, but I just want you to sit with the Lord. And I want you to say, Are you my priority? Am I seeking you how I should be seeking you? Or whatever question God has spoken to you during this. And then I'm finished. So if we can just do that and...